Let's turn over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And yesterday morning, I had a dream. You know, the Bible says old men will dream dreams. (laughs) I just turned 63 last week, so I guess I must be in the old man category, whatever. But I had a dream and in this dream, I was ministering at a conference and I was the last one to speak. And God told me to speak on the balance between grace and faith. And as I got up and started speaking, I mean, it's just like I saw things clearer than I've seen it. I've been preaching on this. I put the very first book I ever put out back in the, uh, I'm not sure if this was in the seventies or in the eighties. It might've been about 1980. The very first book I ever published was living in the balance of grace and faith. And so I've been teaching this a long time but I just saw it from a different angle than I've ever seen it. And I shared it uh, yesterday at our Bible college in the morning and in the night. And I'm going to be teaching on that all weekend long. But I tell you, the Lord showed me that this is an incredibly important message for where the body of Christ is right now. When I first started preaching on this, I basically preached on it because the uh, group that I had been associated with And I believe most of the body of Christ had become very legalistic to where they thought that it was their goodness and it was their holiness and it was their prayer and Bible study and all of these things that made God move. And so I taught on this, trying to bring people more into grace. And nearly all of the times I've taught on this, I've been trying to bring people more and more into grace. And in this dream, and since then, when I woke up, the Lord spoke to me and showed me that now, praise God, we've got people preaching on grace. You know, back when I started sharing this, I know that there was people preaching on grace, but I didn't know who they were. They weren't national ministers. And now there are a lot of people that are preaching on grace. And there are some really good people out there that are ministering the word and that's good. But you know what's happening? People are beginning to take grace and use it to go into all kinds of weird things, to indulge all kinds of sin and say it doesn't matter about how you live. There is a doctrine called universalism. There's another one called uh, ultimate reconciliation where people are teaching that there is no such thing as hell, that a loving God would never send people to hell. And so there is no hell. It's just this life. And this is all that there is. They teach that the only reason to get born again is just so you can have more of an abundant life and enjoy the presence of the Lord. But even the people that don't know the Lord aren't going to go to hell. And then there's some people that teach that even all the people in hell and the devil will ultimately be reconciled unto God and that even the devil is going to be in heaven. That's being taught today. And so it's a different day than when I first started preaching this because back then, People were just preaching the wrath and the judgment of God and believing that if you didn't do everything right, God wouldn't bless you. And I was trying to pull them over this way towards the middle, towards grace. Now we've got people on both extremes. We still have all of the legalists that believe that it's according to their own actions. But now we've got people over here that are saying it doesn't matter if you give. It doesn't matter if you pray. It doesn't matter if you live holy. It doesn't matter about anything. There are no consequences And that's wrong too. And so, you know what? There's a balance. There's always a middle. There was a man in the uh, late 70s, I think it was. It could have been in the 80s, but he wrote a book, Bob Boos. 
and he wrote this book, The Pendulum Swings. And this was about a pendulum. If you like, pull it over to here and then you let go. It doesn't come back to the center and stop. It'll go to the other extreme. And then it goes like this. And this is what happens in the body of Christ. People will take a doctrine, they will take something and they will take it to an extreme. And then after a while, people will see this. They'll begin to start preaching against it, correct it. And when people see that they've been wrong, instead of going back to a proper balance, they nearly always go past where it should be and they go to an extreme over here. You know, there's people that have been under extreme legalism and they've just had the burden of everything on their shoulders. They've got to fast. They've got to pray. It's all up to them to make God move and to make something happen. They go in and grab hold of the horns of the altar and they have to shake it until God comes out. That's what religion has been preaching. And then they see how this is wrong and how Jesus has paid everything and it's not up to them that Jesus has provided it and we should put faith in what Jesus has done. And they see that this was legalism and they see how bondage it is and how it just wears them out. You know, there's this poem about Mary had a little lamb. It would have been a sheep, but it joined the church and died from lack of sleep. And you have to just work your fingers to the bone. And so people see the damage over here. And when they see that they've been wrong, what they do is just go to the other extreme. Well, then it's not up to me at all. I don't have to do anything. I don't have any responsibility on me. It's all on Jesus. And so they go to an extreme over here. You know, out where I live, we live in the country. There are no paved roads to our house. You have to take a dirt road and they have a crown on the road and there's a ditch on each side of the road for drainage. And in the winter, when there's snow on the road, you'll always see tire tracks where somebody was going too fast. They start towards a ditch and then typically what they will do is when they see that they're sliding towards a ditch, they'll overcorrect. And they'll pull that wheel so hard that they hit the ditch on the other side of the road. And you know what? One ditch isn't better than the other ditch. (laughs) If you're going to get to where you want to go, you've got to learn how to go down the middle and avoid both ditches. Some people get in the legalism ditch and so they say, praise God, I'm not going to do that anymore. And they get over here and get in the grace ditch. (laughs) I know some of you are thinking there can be no such thing as a grace ditch. You can't be too far in grace. Look at this verse in Ephesians chapter two and in verse eight, it says, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This says that you're saved by grace through faith. You aren't saved by grace alone. You're saved by grace through faith. You're saved by a mixture, a combination of grace and faith. Grace is God's part. Grace is what God does. Faith is our part. It's what we do. And there are things that God has to do to produce salvation. And there's things that we have to do to produce salvation. I'm going to come back to this verse, but look over here in Titus chapter 2. And this ought to make this crystal clear to anybody who has ears to hear. In Titus chapter two and in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
God's grace that brings salvation has appeared or it has come. It's been made evident to all men, not some, all. Every person who has ever breathed on this planet, whether they're in a foreign country, whether they've heard the gospel as we know it, Romans 1, 18 through 20 shows that there's an intuitive knowledge on the inside of every person that God has revealed himself to every person and the grace of God that brings salvation. That means God has given an opportunity for salvation to every person that has ever breathed. I have people ask me all the time, what about the people that haven't heard the gospel? God gave them an opportunity. The grace of God that brings salvation came to them. They may not know the name Jesus, but they, God revealed to them that somehow or another there was a substitute, there was a savior and that they could have believed. And somehow or another, God is more merciful than any of us. And God is going to judge people based on the knowledge that they have. And there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So anyway, God's grace that brings salvation has appeared unto every person that has ever lived on this earth. And if grace alone saved, then every person would be saved because God's grace is the same towards every person who has ever lived. If grace alone saved, then every person would be saved because every person has had God's grace come unto them. But see, it doesn't work that way. You have to put faith in God's grace. You have to believe and receive God's grace. If you doubt, you do without. You got to believe and receive or doubt and do without. You have to mix faith with what God has done. It's like uh, faith and grace are like sodium and chloride. Did you know that sodium is poison? If you eat enough of it, it'll kill you. Chloride is poison. If you eat enough of it, it'll kill you. Both of them are poisons, but you mix them together and it becomes salt and you'll die without it. Did you know that, I know I'm probably going to offend some people, but just please stick with me and let me keep talking long enough. I think you'll, you know, this will feel better after a while. (laughs) But faith alone will kill you. Grace alone will kill you. And I know that that's a radical statement. Some people, "Ah, that is not true. Again, I go back to Ephesians 2, 8. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a combination of those two, not one or the other. And in my opinion, this is something that the Lord has shown me. I believe that all error is, is a truth taken to an extreme. Or you could say it this way. All error is, is a truth held at the expense or ignoring other truths. Now that's an important statement. Every move of God, every denomination, every group at one time had some truth that drew people to it, but then they take that truth to an extreme and they ignore other truths of the word of God. And the word of God balances itself out. 
You know, it's like if you had a big old tightrope stretched across this auditorium, you would have to anchor it on one side and then you'd have to pull that tight and anchor it in an opposite direction. And you'd have to have these opposing forces pulling against each other to provide that rope being taut so that you could walk on it. Every truth of God is like that. There's this truth over here and then there's a truth over here that looks opposite, but you have to examine it and see how they fit together. For instance, Martin Luther is the guy that in Romans chapter three, verse 27, look at this verse in Romans chapter three, verse 27. This is what sparked the Protestant reformation. Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest. He knew he wasn't satisfied in himself. He felt like there had to be something more. The Catholic church of the middle ages You know, I'm not a great supporter of the Catholic church in our day and age, but in the middle ages, it was much different. It was uh, nearly in total apostasy. They were the ones that killed the majority of the Christians, the Spanish Inquisition. They had indulgences and all kinds of things. And I mean, it was not good. It was a force for the devil. And uh, Martin Luther was in it. He knew God to a degree, but he just knew that there had to be something more than these indulgences and buying your salvation and the rituals. And Martin Luther was actually at the Vatican, crawling up these steps on his knees, praying the rosary, going through the, the deal. And he just realized this is not it. And his study of the word, the Holy Spirit brought back to him these verses. And in Romans three twenty seven, it says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's verse 28, isn't it? But anyway, it's, uh, verse 27 is a good one too. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And he got that revelation crawling up these steps on his knees. He turned around, came back, put his thesis on the door of the cathedral and it started the Protestant Reformation in the Catholic Church came that close to killing him. They did kill many people during that period of time, but that sparked the Protestant Reformation. And the vast majority of us in here have been born again because of this revelation and the boldness that he had speaking those things. And so anyway, he, see the church was way over here into legalism and he realized this can't be it. This isn't what the word says. He got the revelation of Romans chapter three, verses 27 and 28. And man, he headed in this direction. But then he was so liberated by getting away from these works that he read over here in James chapter two. Look at this passage of scripture in James chapter two. And it's really good if you read from verse 14 all the way down. But let me just start with verse 20. It says, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness and was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Man, that looks opposite. What Romans chapter three, verse 28 says, again, let me read this verse in verse uh, 20, 
4. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Put that with Romans 3.28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. You know, on the surface, those look contradictory to each other. And it was so uh, uh, confusing and challenging to Martin Luther that he actually lobbied to take the book of James out of the Bible and said, this isn't supposed to be in the Bible because he had such a revelation that it is not our works that produce salvation. Jesus paid for it all. And all we do is receive it by faith and not by our works. He wanted to get rid of it. But you know, if you understand it properly, and this isn't my point tonight, I'm just going to say this and move on. But it's like that rope being stretched across here. You anchor it there and then you pull in the opposite direction and you have to have another apparent opposite truth over here to balance these things out. And James was written to a group of people who the Gnostics had come in and he started saying that they had a superior revelation that they understood the grace of God. And because of this, uh, they just didn't need to live holy. They didn't need to do anything. And God just was automatically going to make everybody right. Nobody had to worry about their actions or anything. And they were professing that they had the truth, but there wasn't evidence of it in their life. And so James countered this by saying, if a man says he has faith, but he doesn't have any actions to back it up, then his faith is dead. And he used Abraham as an example. And what he's basically saying, he's not talking about a work of the law. You don't mix law and grace together. But if you truly believe something, there has to be corresponding actions. That's the way that Kenneth Hagin explained it. He says this is when it says that there has to be actions. Faith without works is dead. It's talking about you got to act on your faith. Uh, John Calvin put it this way. He says, saving uh, faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. If you truly believe something, it'll make you act. And a person who says, oh, I believe, but I'm not going to act. Then you don't really believe it. A person who says, oh, I believe that God is my source and that he's going to supply my needs. And if I give, it shall be given unto me. But then if you don't give, you don't believe it. That's tight, but it's right. <laughs> Some of you think I'm criticizing you. I'm just saying that, you know, you can sit there and say, oh, well, I believe, and I would give if I had anything to give. You got lots of money. You got lots of money. You have lots of money. Did you know the poverty level is what? 20,000 or more. You have lots of money. It's just your allocation of it. If you really believed, you would give. You don't really believe, that's the reason, you don't really believe God would return it. You know, if I said, I can promise you, now I don't have the resources to be able to do this, but if, if I had the resources and if I was a man of my word and if I promised that any person who gives $100 in here, I'll give you back $10,000. That's a hundredfold return. If you really believed that I had the resources and that my word was true, you would be absolutely stupid not to give me a hundred dollars. And if you said, but I'd, I'd need money to get home, you would, it'd be to your advantage to hit the person next to you and say, give me a hundred dollars and I'll pay you back $200 and you'd still be $9,800 ahead. If you really believed it, you'd put it on your credit card. If you really, you'd do something. 
There's not a person in here if I could prove that. And if you believe me, you wouldn't do something. A person who says, I believe that with all of my heart. I believe Andrew's word is true. I believe he's going to do it. But you know, I don't think I'm going to do it. You don't believe it. I don't know anybody that wouldn't take a deal like that. And yet that's exactly what the Lord says. So if you aren't giving, it's because you don't believe it. You can explain it any way you want to. And you can say, I want to give, but I don't have it. No, you got it. You're just spending it on other stuff. Those of you who say, I don't have it. It's like those occupied Wall Streeters that are griping about how bad everything. They're sitting there on their 4G phones talking that cost $400. So anyway, if you really believe something, you act on it. If I said this building's on fire, we're all going to die if we don't get out of here. And if you just sat there and said, I believe it. And you just sat there you don't believe it. If you believed it, there's room for varying reactions. Some people might scream. Some people might faint. Some people might try and put the fire out. Some people might dial 911. Some people might stampede. But if you believed it, you would act. A person that just sits there and says, I believe I'm going to (laughs) die. You don't believe it. Either that or you just, your elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor or something. If you believe something, you act. And this is all James is saying is that, you know what, these people are saying that they have all of this stuff, but they don't believe it or they would act differently. And this is a perfect balance to what uh, Martin Luther got a revelation of, that it is all what Jesus did and all we've got to do is believe. But if you really believe, it should be evident in your life. A person who says, I believe in Jesus is my Lord. And yet you are consulting with witches. You are hating God. You are everything against God. I'm not saying that anybody's perfect. We're all in the process of changing. But if there isn't any evidence in your life to convict you that you're a Christian, then chances are you aren't a Christian. There's a perfect balance between those two. Does everybody see that? So instead of Martin Luther saying, we need to kick James out of the Bible, there was a perfect balance. And every truth from God has an apparent opposite contradiction. And this is one reason that when you study the word, and if you feel like God has shown you something, don't just get on that subject and only associate with people who think that way and refuse to ever listen to anything else and never read any other scriptures, but you continue in the word of God and you will bump into things that challenge your belief and it will make you not disbelieve it, but it'll make you put it into its proper perspective and get it in its proper balance. The body of Christ is just, uh, I mean, it is, um, it's just inundated with people who have a truth, but they take that truth to the exclusion of everything else and they forget everything else. You know, uh, I was raised in the faith movement and man, we just heard teaching and preaching about faith, 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 which man, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But did you know the Bible says in Romans, I mean, in uh, Galatians chapter five, verse six, that faith without, uh, excuse me, faith works by love. If you're going to preach on faith, you've also got to preach on love. And there was people that wouldn't preach on love. They were just focused on let's believe God, let's do something. But faith is actually a byproduct of knowing how much God loves you. 
and everything is interrelated and you can't just focus on faith. It's like a person who just lifts weights with one arm and they build this arm up until, I mean, it's huge, it's gigantic and yet their legs are atrophied. They can't walk. They can't go anywhere. They've never used their leg muscles. They're just using this muscle all of the time. You know what? You can die like that. We need to have well-rounded theology and One of the things that is, in my estimation, one of the greatest things that God taught me was a balance between grace and faith. Without going through my whole testimony, just quickly, let me say that I was born again when I was eight, but I became a legalist. And then when I was 18, I encountered God in a supernatural way. God meant me. And for four and a half months, I was caught up in the love of God. And I just was gone someplace. It was awesome. And um, I experienced the love of God and I knew it had nothing to do with my goodness. Prior to that time, I'd been trying to earn God's love by my performance. God showed up and showed me I was a religious hypocrite, that I was a Pharisee. I finally repented of my self-righteousness. And when I finally repented of my self-righteousness is when this awesome love of God came. And I knew that it had nothing to do with my goodness because for the first time in my life, I knew that I wasn't worth spitting on. That I didn't deserve a thing. And I knew that God's love in my life had nothing to do with me. And then as I got turned onto the Lord, I started in the faith movement, which there was a lot of good things taught, but it was taught from a perspective is you've got to confess the word of God in order to make God move. You've got to study the word to make God move. You've got to fast to make God move. Matter of fact, this is one of the statements that was in the faith movement. Probably every person in here has heard this is that faith moves God. And yet that was contrary to my experience. And so I didn't reject these things, but I thought, what's the balance between this? How do you put this together with the fact that I don't deserve anything and I don't make God do stuff? And this is what the Lord taught me about the balance of grace and faith. I believe it's one of the anchors of my life. And I really believe that the body of Christ today needs this revelation of balance between grace and faith, probably more so or as much as ever in my lifetime. And this has the potential of really blessing you. Tonight, I'm just going to lay a foundation for this, but I'm going to be ministering on this all weekend. And I encourage you, if at all possible, to come or at least get the CDs, watch it on the internet or do something, because this is life-changing stuff. This will absolutely change your life. So let me define some things. Grace is what God does. It's His part, and it's unconditional. It's undeserved. I could prove that in a lot of ways, but if you just go to the, dec- to the uh, definition of it in any Greek uh, dictionary, it'll say unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. But the very fact it says in, in uh, John chapter one that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. It also says in that same chapter, it says that we beheld the uh, glory of God full of grace and truth. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one that ushered in the grace of God. He's the one that was full of grace and truth. And he came 2000 years ago before you and I existed. 
So God's grace came to this earth and you are now partaking of that grace. Jesus hasn't died for anybody in the last 2000 years. He hasn't healed anybody in the last 2000 years. He hasn't done anything. He's seated at the Father's right hand. Everything that Jesus did, he did in that physical body while he was here. And then he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. He did his work and he's now seated at the Father's right hand. So he hasn't been forgiving people, saving people, healing people, helping people since then. He did it and now his grace has already provided everything. It's not his turn to heal you or to do something. He's already provided it. Now you have to reach out and by faith, take what he has done. So grace is something that came 2000 years ago. It's something that's independent of you. You have nothing to do with it. This is the reason that salvation has come unto every person who's ever lived on this earth because regardless of how good or how bad they are, God's grace is consistent. It's not based on a person's performance. Hitler had grace come unto him. Salvation came to Hitler. But as far as we know, he didn't receive it by faith. Every action of his life, everything indicates that he did not accept, but instead he was rebelling and resistant towards grace. And so the grace didn't profit him. Matter of fact, Paul said this in two or three different places in Galatians chapter two, verse 20 is where he says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life that I now live. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then the next verse says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Do you have that up there? For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This says that you can frustrate the grace of God. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, that the grace of God, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. God's grace, see his part, doesn't automatically produce victory in your life. God has provided everything for everyone. It's not like he's done more for me than he's done for somebody else. He hasn't done something for some of these pastors more than he's done for any of the rest of us. God hasn't done something more for Billy Graham than he has for us. His grace is identical to every person who's ever believed. It's exactly the same. But the difference is you appropriate his grace by your faith. You have to mix your faith with it. And many people are not believing God, they're resisting him. Other people only believe God to a certain degree. They might accept salvation, but they won't accept the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They won't expect, accept miracles. They won't accept blessings. They don't believe that it's God's will to prosper. And so you can receive just a little bit of God's grace, but the grace of God is exactly the same towards every person. And if grace alone saved, then every person would be saved. Every person would be healed. Every person would be delivered. Every person would be prosperous. Every person would have joy unspeakable and full of glory because it's already been done. On the inside of you, Galatians 5, you already have love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's already on the inside of every born again believer, but you have to draw it out by faith. So it's not just up to God. And man, I could stop here and preach for a week. But let me just say something real quick. I've got a book entitled, You've Already Got It. 
God by grace has already done everything. Whatever it is that you're asking God to do, God has already done it. That's grace. And somebody says, well, I hadn't got it. He has not done it. No, he's done it. You haven't received it. It's not about God's giving. It's about our receiving. And that's our part, faith. Faith is our part. God has already done his part. Jesus has already forgiven the entire world of all of their sins, not just up until the time you get born again, but every sin you have or will ever commit has already been forgiven. First John chapter two, verse two says that he is the propitiation. That word means atoning sacrifice uh, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died and paid for the sins of the entire world. Every person's sins have been paid for. Well, does that mean every person is saved then? No, because you aren't saved by grace alone. You have to believe in order to receive it. You know, when I was a kid, we had a vacation Bible school is what we called it. Normally, my family, we, we were like skunks. We had our own pew right down here on the front row. And we always sat right on that front row. But they marched me in with the rest of the group. And there were 600 people in the auditorium. And I was sitting right on the back row. And this guy got up. He was trying to illustrate what salvation was. And he held a dollar bill up in his hand. He said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And I mean, instantly there was just kids all around him just like this. And everybody was jumping and saying, I want it. I want it. And I thought of all the times to be sitting on the back row. This was the worst time. But he just kept his hand up in the air and he ignored him. And he said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And everybody was wondering, well, what's wrong with you? They're all up there. Give it to them. And he just kept saying this over and over. And finally, I got it. I saw what he was saying. And I got out of my seat. I ran down the aisle. I pushed through all of those other kids. He had his hand up in the air and I grabbed his arm like this and climbed up his arm and I grabbed that dollar bill. And when I did, he said, that's the first kid that came up here and took it. He said, every one of you wanted it, but I said, I'll give it to the first one who comes up here and takes it. And he used that to illustrate salvation. God has provided salvation and the grace that brings that salvation has appeared unto every person on the face of the earth, but you have to respond to it. What God does for you does not automatically change you. You have to respond to it. That's what the Bible calls faith. So it's not just grace. See, if you get on this grace, and I preach grace harder than most people. I've had a few people call me a legalist, but very few. Most people call me a greasy gracer and talk about all these things. So (laughs) there's not very many people that are further into grace than I am. And, and, uh, Some of you may think I'm not preaching grace right now because I'm talking about there's something we have to do, but I don't know how you can miss this. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a combination of the two. God's grace has come unto every person, but it doesn't set not every person saved because not every person puts faith in it. So here is the definition of faith. And these, I'm going to give you two definitions of faith. And these things took me 20 years to say this. I'm not as sharp as some people. 
And some of you are not going to think these are really very important definitions. But if you understood what I'm about to say, this would revolutionize your life. If this doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. (laughs) Here's one of the ways that the Lord explained faith to me. Faith is our positive response to God's grace, to what he's already done by grace. That's huge. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm disappointed. I thought that that's, that's not that great. But see, here's what most people believe faith is. Most people believe faith is something you do to gain a positive response from God. Most people think you have to live holy, pray, study the word, pay your tithes, do something. And then when you do something, God responds to you. That's where we came up with the statement that faith moves God. That when you believe God, then God moves. I'm saying the exact opposite. Faith is our response to what God has already moved, what he's already done by grace. That's huge. That is 180 degrees opposite what basic Christianity today is preaching. Some of you are shaking your head. Most of you are looking like I would have never have believed anything differently. That's exactly what I believe. You know, in our meetings here, we've had people come by the thousands, tens of thousands of people I've prayed for. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've had people come up and say, how come God hadn't healed me? I'm praying, I'm studying the word. I pay my tithes. I go to church. I'm doing everything he told me to do. How come God hasn't done anything? You believe you do stuff and then God responds to you. And that's the very reason that you hadn't seen it come to pass. You didn't point to what Jesus has already done. And say, I'm trusting it. I know it's true. I know he's already done it. I don't have people come to me with those kind of questions. But I have people come to me by the thousands that say, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and God hasn't done this. You believe faith is something you do to move God. You see faith like a pry bar that you put under God and you use it for leverage. And you pray. And if, if he doesn't answer your prayer, then you fast. And you don't know why he wouldn't answer your prayer, but even an old, hard, mean, harsh God would, would do something before you die of starvation when you get miserable. And I mean, certainly something, he's going to have pity. And then if that doesn't work, you call the prayer chain and you get hundreds of people to put pressure on God and beg God for you. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. (laughs) This is where the vast majority of the body of Christ is thinking, God, I'm doing this. And oh God, please move. And God, the doctor said this and you try and make it so pitiful. And oh God, you just don't know how bad my situation is. And so you spend all this time telling God, hoping that that will impress him to move. Most people see God, you may not use this exact visual thing, but you you see something similar to where God has his huge desk in heaven and everything has to pass through him and he's got the stamp approved on it before you can get your prayer answered. And so you're in varying degrees of begging God and trying to tell him how important this is. And God put this one on the top of your stack. This is important. And 
But see, when you understand that faith is just your response to what God has already done, it changes everything. God's already done it. My stripes, I was healed. I don't have to get God motivated to heal me. God wants me healed more than I want to be healed. God, you don't have to, you don't have to motivate God to bless you. The Bible says you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And yet how many times do we have people say, oh God, please bless. We say, oh God, just give me more faith. When the Bible says faith is a fruit of the spirit that's on the inside of you. You've already got the faith of the son of God, Galatians 2.20. Not faith in the son of God, but the faith of the son of God. The Bible says you've already got it. The Bible says you're already healed. By my stripes, you were healed. And yet how many people say, oh God, please heal me. Here's the doctor's report saying I'm sick. Please heal me. And so you ask God to heal you when he says that you're already healed. If God could be confused, I believe that God would be confused. I could just see God looking over at Jesus and saying, didn't you tell them (laughs) that by your stripes, you were, they were healed, that they were healed. Why are they asking me to heal them? when I said that you are already healed. See, if you understand faith is just your positive response. Everybody responds to what God has said. Most people respond by saying, well, that's not true because here's a doctor's report that proves I'm not healed. So what God said isn't true. They don't understand that there's a spiritual world. There's a spiritual you. And in the spirit, you already have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) Hallelujah. In the spirit, you've already got love, joy, and peace. In the spirit, you've already got all of these things. But instead of going by what's true in the spiritual realm, we just go by the physical realm. We let the doctors go check our bodies. I couldn't tell you how many people I pray for and they say, well, I'm going to go to the doctor and see if God did it. (laughs) I believe that ultimately what God does will manifest itself in in the physical realm. But you know what? God is a spirit and God moves in the spirit realm. And whether it ever becomes a physical tangible reality isn't a proof of whether God did anything. That's an indication of whether you knew how to receive. It's like having a well. And you know what? You got this water in the bottom of that well, but you got to draw it out. And so you stick a bucket down in there and you draw this out. That's what faith, faith doesn't make God do anything. God's already done it. The water's already there, but you got to draw it out. You could lean up against the well and die of thirst (laughs) if you can't draw it out. Every one of you have the same power. If you've been born again, every one of you have the same power that you, that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And it's inches, millimeters away from the cancer that's killing your body, from your back pain. It's all in there, but you just leave it in there and you never draw it out because you're waiting on God to do it. That would be like the person that's leaning up against the well and I'm, I'm just waiting on the well to work. The well's working fine. You just haven't drawn it out. You haven't done anything. There's something you've got to do. That would be similar to a person that's 
you know, at their house and they've got water pumped into their house and they're sitting right there next to a faucet, just waiting on the water to come out, not realizing they've got to turn the faucet. You could be inches away from water that would give you life and you could die of thirst because you aren't turning the faucet. You aren't doing anything. And somebody says, well, I'm trusting God. I'm waiting on God to do it. Well, God's already put the water in the pipe. Now you got to turn the faucet. There's a combination between those two things. See, there's God does it. God has already provided healing, but you have to learn how to speak. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You've got to learn how to speak to your mountain. You've got to learn that we have authority and that actions, faith without works is dead. So you got to do something. And by doing those things, see, you're turning the faucet and releasing what God has already done. And it just depends what you're focused on. If you don't understand the balance of grace and faith, then you'll sit there and you say, so it's up to me. I'm going to get myself healed. You're saying that healing is all in me. No, I'm saying that God is the one that provides it. But there is a cooperation between that. You have to reach out and by faith, take what God has provided. Oh, so it's all up to me. No, God does it. Well, then it's all up to God. Well, no, you've got to receive it. (laughs) There's a balance between those two. You know, once you see this, it's really clear. But until you see it, some people says, well, would you please make up your mind? Is it God or is it me? It's both. You know, I was sharing this with our students yesterday and I won't go into great detail here, but you know, our ministry right now is really blessed and God is blessing us. We had our media buyer call and say that, you know, he, he buys media time for many, many of the biggest ministries in the United States and around the world. And he says, your ministry is just going and blowing and things are working. And he says, you guys are just blessed. Most people are at the very least plateaued or, or decreasing and you're just blessed. And we are blessed. And I can say this emphatically. My mother, right before she died, she was 96 years old. She asked me to tell her about what God was doing in the ministry. I told her about all of the things worldwide, all of the offices, the Bible colleges, the things that were happening. And she was blessed. But she stuck her little bony finger right in my face. And she said, Andy, you know, this is God. And I said, yes, mother, I know this is God. And she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. (laughs) And you know what? It's true. It is God. It's God blessing us. And I can sit here and I can spend lots of time telling you about how it's God. It is not my goodness. It's not my greatness. I'm not smart enough to do these things. I'm not good enough. It is not because I am somebody special that we are blessed. But you know what? On the other hand, If I wasn't cooperating with God, I can stop the blessing of God. Matter of fact, it's 10 years ago in January that the Lord told me I was limiting what he could do in my life because of my small thinking. And I just put out a brand new series on that entitled Taking the Limits Off God Times 10, 10 years later. And it is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. It has to be one of the greatest gross and expansion of any ministry I've ever heard of or I've known about. It, it's phenomenal what God's doing. And you know what? God isn't the one that changed. 
It was me that changed. I was limiting God and I changed and I've done some things. So on one hand, I can sit here and say, it's all God. On the other hand, I can say, you know what? There's things I had to do. Both of those are true. If I hadn't have changed the way I was thinking, we wouldn't see the blessing of God and God, and God impacting people and things happening that are happening now. And it's absolutely the same with you. God has a perfect plan for your life. And some of you are just saying, well, then God, why isn't my life better? Because you have a part to play. You don't make the power of God flow, but you can restrict it. You can stop it. God has a plan for you that is completely independent of your worth and value. It's just God made you with all of these things. But you know what? Unless you renew your mind, unless you get in the word, unless you do some things, you aren't going to see God's best come to pass. So in one sense, I can say it's up to God. It's all God. It's not you. But on the other hand, I can say it is you. If you don't learn to cooperate, if you don't take steps of faith and believe God, there is a balance between these two. It's not one or the other. It's a combination of the two. In, in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, it says, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Most people put a period right after it says, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, period. And they say, God's able to do anything. That's not a true statement. God has set it up that he will not. You could say will not, could not, he is not going to move in your life unless there is some power working on the inside of you. God does not sovereignly move. If you haven't heard some of my teaching, that may have derailed you right there because <laughs> that is probably one of the dominant doctrines in the body of Christ that God just sovereignly does everything. That's not true. It is God's will. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, God is not slack as some man count slackness, but he's long suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance it says very clearly that God is not willing for any person to perish. It is not God's will for people to perish. And yet Jesus himself said more people are going to go in by the broad gate unto destruction than by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. So God's will does not automatically come to pass. This doctrine that God just sovereignly moves, que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. It's all fate. And God just moves and we never know how God moves, why God moves. That's a false doctrine. In my opinion, that is the worst doctrine in the body of Christ because it renders you powerless. What's the point in you doing anything if it's just up to God? There's entire denominations that are built on this saying that you're either predestined to be saved or predestined to be damned and you don't have a choice. That is not what the word of God teaches. Man, I'm not going to get off on that. But anyway, that is, an, a, that is an extreme and see if you believe that, well then what's the point in doing anything? The Bible says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If God is sovereign and if God just moves automatically and things happen automatically, then what is the point in you submitting unto God and resisting the devil? If you just kept 
following this thinking all the way through. If God controls everything, then the devil couldn't do anything without getting permission from God. So ultimately God's even responsible for that. There's people that teach that. I've got a man on television that I watched and he had a woman on who this woman and her daughter were kidnapped, taken out to a a place, raped, and then he had them lay on the on their face and shot them both in the back of the head. The daughter died. The woman lived through it, had some physical problems, but she was on his television program talking about this and saying, all things work together for good. We know that God had a purpose in this. And they were on there talking about how God made this man rape these two women, kill the daughter, and God willed that. That is not true. That is an absolute lie. God does not cause the rape and the murder and the plunder and the terrible things that happen. God is not doing that. That is an extreme misunderstanding of grace, thinking everything is just all up to God. No, God has a perfect will for every person, but you have to do some things to reach out and appropriate what God has provided by grace. So faith is just your positive response to what God has already done. Here's the second definition. It's really the same thing, just said in different words, that faith only appropriates what God has already provided by grace. If God hasn't already provided it, you can't make him do it. Now this answers a lot of questions because people that have taught faith moves God that you can go in and you can demand things of God. You can pray. And if he doesn't answer your prayer fast and put more pressure on him, if that doesn't work, get a hundred people or a thousand people. And we're going to pressure God and we're going to make God do it. You know, that would answer the question about revival. People are praying, trying to make God pour out his spirit. God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. It says this promise is unto you and unto your children and unto them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God poured out his spirit 2000 years ago and he's never taken it back. It's not God who needs to move. It's us who need to accept that we already have the power of God on the inside of us. And you go out and start raising the dead, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, and you'll have all the revival that you can handle. But it is a deception of the devil that's got the body of Christ in their prayer closet begging God to do what he told you to do. He told you to go out and these signs would follow you. He told you to go speak to people. He said, you heal the sick. And we're saying, oh God, pour out your spirit and just let miracles happen. Heal people. He said, you heal them. Does that mean that you have the power? Well, it's not your power. It's God's power. It's grace that provided it. But yeah, it's in you. And until you release it, people aren't going to be healed. And yet most of the body of Christ is praying and saying, oh God, would you please heal this person? That's a chicken prayer. (laughs) That's a safe prayer. And if nothing happens, well, must not have been God's will. Lord, if it be your will do this. Don't waste your time praying if it be thy will. Jesus never prayed if it be thy will. 
Some people say, well, yes, he did. No, he said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your be done. That was saying that I don't want to do this, but I'll accept your will. It wasn't saying, is it your will for me to die? If it's your will. No, that's totally opposite. The Bible says that, yes, he wishes above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So pray in God, if it's your will, heal me as a wasted prayer. Was that too subtle? Anybody miss that? God, by his grace, has already provided it. He put this raising from the dead power on the inside of you. It's not your power. It's his power, but it's in you. And until you start taking your authority, it says in Mark eleven twenty three, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Notice it says to say to your mountain. It didn't say to talk to God and say, oh God, please move this mountain. Please get this problem out of my life. God, please take this tumor away. Please take my pain away. That's why people pray. But the Lord said, say to your mountain, your mountain is your problem. You say, cancer in the name of Jesus, get out of my body. Tumor in Jesus name. I command you to dissolve and to be gone. Sickness, you be gone. That means that you understand God gave you his power. God by grace has already done it. And now you've got authority. You talk to it. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. He doesn't flee from God. God and the devil have already met and Jesus won. There isn't any conflict. There is no conflict between God and the devil. Satan is a defeated foe, but he's coming at you. And now you have to speak to the devil. You have, you can't say, Oh God, please get the devil off my case. You have to take your authority and say, Satan, I resist you. I command you to leave. And he flees from you. It's God's power. That's grace, but it's in you. That's faith. And until you start taking your authority and standing, then this power will never be released. And so we've got the body of Christ in one ditch or the other. It's all up to God. God, if it be your will, oh Lord, please move. You call and ask a hundred other people to try and pressure God to move and do something. You pray and you're asking God to do what he told you to do. Or there's people over here in this ditch who are just thinking it's all up to me and I'm going to fast and pray and I'm not going to let go until God moves. I'm going to make him do things. Both of those are wrong. You got to get right down the middle and recognize God's already done. All faith does is appropriate what God has already provided by grace. If his grace hasn't already provided it, your faith can't make him do it. There's nothing new under the sun. And let me give you one last example. Man, I tell you, I've got so much to say on this. I, I could talk all week. I think I will talk all weekend. <laughs> but let me give you one example of what I'm talking about. When I grew up in Arlington, Texas, there was a uh, woman who had a Bible school. And she had, I don't know, 10 or 20 women or something in her Bible school. And she took Mark eleven twenty four. I just used Mark eleven twenty three about speaking to your mountain. And then eleven twenty four says, whatsoever things you desire, 
when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. You have to believe you have it right now and then you shall, future tense, see it come to pass. And this woman built her ministry on that verse and she says, whatsoever you desire. Well, this woman desired to marry Kenneth Copeland. She wanted Kenneth Copeland to be her husband. So she claimed Kenneth Copeland as her husband. And the way she dealt with Gloria Copeland being married to <laughs> Kenneth, she said in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so she cursed Gloria and commanded Gloria to die. And she was just waiting on Gloria to die and get out of the way so that her and Kenneth could marry. And she even went to the, ex- to the extreme of having a wedding where she wore a wedding dress and married Kenneth Copeland in the spirit. Now, of course, Kenneth wasn't there. (laughs) But in the spirit, she married him and she was just waiting on Gloria to die and get out of the way so that her and Kenneth could be husband and wife. And she based it on scripture. It says, whatsoever things you desire. Now, most of you are saying, I don't believe you can do that. Well, why not? Well, I just don't feel good about it. That's not a good enough reason. Doesn't it say whatsoever? Isn't desiring somebody else for your husband a whatsoever? Why can't you do that? Why can't you say that I believe I'm going to rob a bank and get away with it in the name of Jesus? I confess it with my mouth and believe it in my heart. I'm going to get a million dollars. I'm going to win the lottery. God's fixing the lottery for me because that's a whatsoever. And I confess it with my mouth and believe it in my heart. Why can't you do that? The simple answer is that God by grace through what Jesus died to do did not provide murder and adultery and thievery and the lottery is not part of the atonement of Jesus. (laughs) Your faith doesn't make God do anything. Faith doesn't move God. God moved before you existed. Before you had a need, God already supplied it. He saw every problem that the human race could ever have. And he, he met that need before you and I were born. Before you ever committed a sin, he knew every sin that you and I would commit. And he's already forgiven them. Before you and I were ever sick, he already bore every sickness and every disease. He doesn't have to heal you. He's already done it. And he put the raising from the dead power on the inside of you. He's already provided love, joy, and peace in every single thing, every problem, any wisdom that you need. He's already anticipated every problem. And before you existed, he created the need. That's grace. But now you have to reach out and receive it. But see, your faith doesn't make God do anything. All it can do is receive what God has already done. If he's already done it, then it takes the work out of it. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to plead. You don't have to put a pry bar under God to move him. You don't have to get a hundred people to agree with you. He's already done it. Now, will you just rest in it? Will you receive it? Or are you going to continue to ask God to do what he told you to do? Are you going to sit there and say, well, if it's God's will, it'll automatically come to pass. And are you going to advocate your responsibility through faith? I tell you, this is huge. 
I've said things here tonight that honestly ought to keep every person in here busy at least for 20 or 30 years trying to understand this and implement it. I've said things that it took me 20 years to connect these dots and to fit those pieces together. This is profound, a lot of the things that I've said. And if you understood this, it would solve a lot of weird things going on in the body of Christ. It would stop a lot of junk that's going on. It would answer so many questions. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, whatever your needs are here tonight, God has already meant them. That's grace. You don't have to do something to get God to move. God moved already. But now you have to do something to move you, to release your faith. You may need to fast and you may need to pray, not in order to make God have pity on you and move, but to get rid of the doubt and the unbelief, to turn off the junk that's on TV, all except the gospel fruit. (laughs) And you need to start turning off some stuff and getting into the word of God and studying the word, not because God looks at how much TV you watch. And if you watch so much, no answered prayer for you. Man, he's already provided it. It's already done. He provided it before there was TV. But you know what? There may be some things you have to do to sensitize your heart to God, to get rid of the doubt and the unbelief and quit listening to all of the stuff that's contrary to the word of God. You may need to lock yourself in a room and start studying the word, not because God is going to answer your prayer after you've done so many hours of penance. But it just may take you a few hours of washing your mind. You need to be brainwashed. Your brain needs washing real bad. Amen. Boy, this is good stuff. I tell you, God's done his part. And I'm teaching this and sharing these things. And I have had thousands. That is not an exaggeration to say thousands of people have gotten hold of these truths And they've started speaking to things and doing their part. And I mean, the things that God has already done, it was like a dam was there and it had all been stopped up. And when they start doing their part, all of these blessings that God has been trying to pour out in their life just comes like a dam breaking and it's a flood. It's just overwhelming people. God's will for you is much greater than any of us are experiencing. God's got more for every one of us. And it's not up to God whether or not it comes to pass. It's up to us to renew our minds, to begin to start cooperating, put faith in what God has already done. And when you mix faith with grace, you release the supernatural power of God. It's like an atomic explosion. It's like a nuclear blast. Man, it'll it'll revolutionize your world. It's absolutely true. And I'm not through. I'm just going to quit and we're going to start here tomorrow and start just continue to talk about this and explaining it. And I tell you, this will revolutionize your world. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. We're all in varying stages of development. God's grace is the same, but all of us are at varying stages of renewing our mind and appropriating what God has already provided. But I can tell you this, there's two things 
that every person in this room need. Every person. I don't care where you are. I don't care what's going on. Every person needs at least two things. One of them is you must be born again. Jesus has already provided your salvation. And maybe you've thought, well, I'm too bad. If you heard what I said tonight, he's already forgiven your sins. It's already a done deal. It's not a matter of if I ask, he might say no. He's already done it. It's not about whether God will forgive your sins. He's already done it. Will you receive it? You don't have to have any doubt, any reservation about God. God's already done it. Will you receive that salvation? And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. God has already done it. Now, will you make him your Lord? If you're willing to do that tonight, then you can reach out. And like I took that dollar bill, you can reach out and take salvation. It's yours for the grabbing tonight. Every person in here needs that. And if you've already been born again, Jesus told his disciples after they were born again, he says, don't go anywhere. Don't tell anybody. Don't do anything until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord told his disciples that receiving the Holy Spirit is imperative. And right after they received the Holy Spirit, prior to that time, they all denied Jesus and fled. After receiving the Holy Spirit, they were bold, so much so that the Pharisees took notice that these people had been with Jesus. And I mean power operated. There are some people in here who you've received your salvation, but you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And some people think, well, I got the Holy Spirit when I was saved. There's a separate experience. These disciples were already born again, and yet they needed to receive the Holy Spirit. And when they did, they spoke in tongues. Speaking in tongues is a part of receiving the Holy Spirit. It's not all that there is. There's many gifts of the Holy Spirit. But in the Bible, when people received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues. And I know some of you have watched me on TV and you think, well, I didn't realize you were a Pentecostal. You don't spit and scream and say glory to God. And you just had no idea that you were coming to a tongue talking meeting. But you know what? You're here now. And everybody else, everybody else knows this is one of those Holy Roller meetings. And so you're going to be talked about. You might as well get something for it. Amen. I'm telling you, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This changed my life. I was talking to a guy today who said he has never, he got delivered of drugs and alcohol by receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's some of you that are trying to live the Christian life. It's not just difficult to live. It's impossible to live. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength and power. You need the Holy Spirit to come empower you. And one of the ways you do that is through speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, it's just like flipping a switch. It turns on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have this gift of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive it. And I'd like to help you to receive it. So if you would like to do one or both of those things, if you need to make Jesus your Lord and or 
You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want to speak in tongues. I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive. God's already provided it. It's just a matter of you reaching out and appropriating what he's already provided. Anybody here say, that's me, and I want you to pray for me. Here's hands over here. Lots of hands. Praise the Lord. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now. Be bold. You know, we had a lot of people raise their hand, but I know that there's a lot more. Some of you are thinking, well, what are you going to do to me? I'm going to give you a free book. What a deal. I haven't got a church for you to join. I'm not going to ask you for anything. We just want to help you receive. I tell you, you need this. It would change your life. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but were too chicken to do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward right now? And we want to pray with you and help you to receive. Just come down here right now and let's pray with you. Thank you, Father. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, they're trying to line you up in just one line or either a double line with space. The reason being, we're going to have people come up and stand behind you and lay hands on you. Because the Bible says through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So I'm going to lead all of you in a prayer, but we're also going to have people come lay hands on you. So that's the reason they're trying to to line you up so that people can get to every person and lay hands on them. You know, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You must be born again first. So before I can pray with any of you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and receive this gift of of speaking in tongues, you first of all have to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. If you aren't absolutely sure that you've done that, there's a lot of people that just assume that they're saved because they're a moral person. They believe that there's a God. The Bible says in James 2, 19, do you believe that there's one God? You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. That's a sarcastic statement. He's saying just believing that there's a God is not salvation. You have to make Jesus your Lord. Making Jesus your Lord doesn't mean that you're never gonna mess up or you'll never fail, but it means that you are willing to turn your life over to him and say, I make you my Lord. You won't live it perfectly but it has to be your desire, your commitment. And so there's a lot of people who believe God exists, but they've never turned their life over to him. And when that happens, you change. The Bible says that you have a witness in yourself and you know that you pass from death unto life. So here's one way you can tell. If you were to stand before God right now, if we just all were to die, and if you were standing before God right now, and if he says, what makes you worthy? How would you respond? If you'd point to something and say, well, I'm a good person. I go to church. Here's my tithing record or whatever. 
then you'd go to hell because your faith is in yourself. You didn't make Jesus your Lord. The only answer that would gain you access to God is to say, it's not what I've done, but I have a savior. I made Jesus my Lord and it's because of what he did that I'm saved. If you have never done that, then I need to pray with you first and you need to be born again. Is there anybody who would just raise your hand and say, I need to pray that prayer first? Anybody, if that's you. Here's one person, here's another one. Here's a couple, anybody else? Anybody else? Here's another one down here. Anybody else? Are you sure? That was a question. You can shake your head yes or no. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I just want you to be sure. And most people today are just assuming this is too important for you to just hope that it works out. If you haven't prayed this prayer and made Jesus your Lord, you need to raise your hand. There was three people, I think. Anybody else? Anybody else? Praise God. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead everybody in a prayer. And I'd like this whole group to pray with me so that these people won't feel like we're just listening to them. I'd like everybody to say this. And what I'm going to do is pray a prayer similar to what you need to pray. You don't have to pray the exact words, but you've got to mean these things. I'm going to pray a prayer based on Romans 10, 9. And if you will say this after me and mean it in your heart, then you'll be born again. You have to believe it. But if you're really ready to believe it, you'll be born again. Isn't that a good deal? That's awesome. So let's say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died and forgave my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive and that you now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe that? Awesome. Who else? There was somebody here. Was that you? Amen. If y'all believe that, then you just pass from death unto life. You know, this man down here, he's still a man. This woman, she's still a woman. But on the inside, you're completely changed. And the Bible says that every person who's made Jesus their Lord is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The significance of that is that God created you to be a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So there's no way he would forbid or fail to answer your prayer for the Holy Spirit. This is what you were made for. God's been wanting this time that he could come fill you with himself. Some people teach that you can't get the Holy Spirit if you have any sin in your life. I'm telling you, if you could get over sin without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got problems in your life, you're a prime candidate for God giving the Holy Spirit. He's not going to refuse to give you the Holy Spirit because you aren't perfect. He gives you the Holy Spirit to make you perfect, to give you power. So we aren't going to beg God. We aren't going to plead. You don't have to wail. All you got to do is open up the doors to your temple and welcome the Holy Spirit. So we're just going to, I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer and we're going to welcome the Holy Spirit to come. And then I want our prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that you can release the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. So they're going to come up here 
And after I lead you in prayer and we open up our hearts, they're going to lay hands on you, release the power of the Holy Spirit. And after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking for God to give you the Holy Spirit and start thanking Him that He did it. There's a promise in Luke chapter 10, or excuse me, Luke 11, 13, that says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a promise. So if you ask, God is giving you the Holy Spirit and you have to take a step of faith and start thanking Him that He did it. I don't care what you feel like. I didn't feel anything when I received the Holy Spirit, but I got Him. Amen. Amen. I just believed. So whether you feel anything, we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, and then you just start thanking God. And at that time, after they lay hands on you, I want you to put your hands in the air like this because the Bible says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. This blesses God when you do this. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. Amen. It's your way of yielding. So we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands, start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to start praying in tongues because the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks in a heavenly language. So we're going to start thanking God and praying in tongues. And then I want you to quit thanking in English and start thanking him in tongues. Start speaking in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Some of you say, how do you do it? I've got a book that will explain the whole thing, but if you're ready, you can do it right now. It's really simple. Let me just give you one instruction and then we're going to pray. But the number one thing that stops people from speaking in tongues is they think it's going to be the Holy Spirit just literally taking control of you and you speaking without any control over it. It's just going to force itself out of you. That is not how it works. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. He doesn't take your mouth and make it talk. He inspires you. You talk and by faith, you believe it's the Holy Spirit. It's very similar to what I did tonight. I believe God spoke through me. But it wasn't pure Holy Spirit. I didn't just open my mouth and say, God, speak through me. And then God took my mouth and made it talk. I spoke. That's the reason it came out in Texan. That's the reason it came out with my sense of humor. It was me that spoke, but I believe it was inspired of God. Speaking in tongues is just like that. You have to speak. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying but your tongue will be unique to you. You can't say what they say, but it'll get you to talking. Once it comes out different, don't quit. Just keep going. And I promise you, God will prove to you that this is him inspiring it. And once you get over the newness of it and get to praying in faith, this is going to be a powerful, powerful experience in your life. Amen. So everybody ready? You know what we're going to do? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. And right now, in the name of Jesus, they've all... 
prayed and made Jesus their Lord, we believe according to the word of God that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we open up the doors of our temple. We open up our heart and welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our life. We want your power. We want anointing. We want this ability to speak in tongues. We want you to pray through us and bypass our brain and come right out of our born again spirit. So we open up our hearts right now and welcome you, Holy Spirit. We lay hands on you now in Jesus' name and say, receive the Holy Spirit. We loose this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into you right now. Thank you, Father, for your power and anointing flowing into every person. Now start thanking God that you have the Holy Spirit. Don't worry about what it feels like. Just start thanking Him by faith. Thank you, Jesus, for filling me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. And now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues. And as we pray in tongues, just pray with us. Start speaking out loud. You can't speak in tongues with your mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth and talk. Open your mouth and speak. Again, if you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear somebody else saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It'll be completely unique to you. Just keep speaking in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We loose this power to flow through all of these right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Many, many, many of these are praying in tongues. Thank you, Father. You know, when you pray in tongues, you don't know what you're saying, but your father knows. You may say, mine doesn't sound like a real language. When a little baby first starts talking, it doesn't sound like it's real English either, but that father knows what that baby is saying. Your heavenly father knows what you are saying. Don't worry about what it sounds like. Just worship God. Put your attention on Jesus and not your own words. You're bypassing your brain. You're praying out of your spirit, man. Pray loud enough that you can hear yourself. Just pray right now. You're praying out of your spirit. You're bypassing the doubt, the fear, the confusion that's in your brain. You're releasing God in a way that you don't normally do. It's powerful. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? That's awesome. Awesome. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to tell you that whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit because he said he would. Amen. I'm not praying in tongues right now, and yet I have the Holy Spirit. And I can pray in tongues anytime I want to. Somebody says, can you just turn the Holy Spirit on and off? No, he's on all of the time. It's me that's on and off. And any time that I want to speak, I can speak. 
And whether you receive the Holy, whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe you received the Holy Spirit. When I first prayed for this, I didn't speak in tongues because I was a Baptist. And I had been told that this was of the devil and I had so many fears and phobias about it. I just wouldn't let it happen. But you know what? I kept after it. It took me three and a half years. You don't have to be as slow as I am. And I wrote all of my problems out. I wrote them in this book. And I'd like to give every one of you a book. This could be the second most important experience you've ever had. The first is being born again. The second is receiving the Holy Spirit. This will transform your life. And I can promise you not a one of you fully appreciates and understands what happened to you. This is big, much bigger than what you know. And so you need to read the book and you need to go ahead and speak in tongues so that you can get the full benefit. This is a powerful, life-changing experience. So I'd like to give you the book. We have Robert right here in the aisle. He's got his Bible up waving it. And we've got a room right next door here. If you would just follow him, we want to give you a book. We aren't going to take from you. We're going to give to you. There's people there that if you have a question, if you need healing, if you need prayer, anything we can do to help you, they're there to help you. So if you would, just follow him for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome, awesome. Praise the Lord. Isn't that great? I tell you what, I believe this is going to change the course of their life. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Man, we had about as many people get baptized in the Holy Spirit as in the upper room. Look what happened there. That's right. I believe that's changing people's lives. That's got the potential of changing this whole area. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. These are our prayer ministers here. Man, these are people, many of them are our Bible college students, lots of them. And they've been sitting under the word uh, four hours a day, every day. And I mean, they are just chomping at the bits to lay hands on somebody. Amen. And I, I don't have the time to pray for everybody, nor do I need to pray for you. It's not me that does the healing. It's Jesus. And these people have all been trained. They've all been through a course. They know how to stand in the word. Pastor Bobby Ray is from Dallas, North Carolina. He has a ministry of healing. Sees some great miracles happen. Al and Angie here are from Florida. And man, he was just, what was it? A year, a year, and just a year. last January, he was in the hospital, supposed to be in there for months and maybe never walk again. And he came out right away. And God has healed him supernaturally, man. And every one of these people here, every one of these people know how to pray. Matter of fact, I think you were the one I spoke over yesterday that has a gift of healing. I just found out about it yesterday. He may have known about it, but praise God, it was a prophecy over him. And these people are well able to pray with you. So what I want to do is ask you that if your faith's been quickened, if you want somebody to agree with you, just come up here right now and let one of our prayer ministers lay hands on you and agree with you. We've got people standing at the aisles and they are going to direct you towards one of our prayer ministers so that everybody won't just get on one side. So if you would, please cooperate with all of these volunteers who are helping us. And praise God, we're going to be able to pray for every single person. 
The rest of you, if you would like to stay and pray, I usually pray and operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we see miracles happen, miracles called out, people sitting out there receive miracles. If you need to go, you're free to go. Remember that we have CDs, DVDs that are already duplicated out there and you can pick them up. We don't have tomorrow's duplicated. Somebody always ask about that. And I'm not going to even dignify that with an explanation, but you can get tonight's out there. It's already been produced, amen. Thanks for coming. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. and then 7 p.m. And then on Saturday, our times change. It's 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. So God bless you. Thanks for coming. You're dismissed if you need to be. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We all agree and we just believe that your power is flowing through every one of these prayer ministers. You said if we lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So we're taking our authority and we're praying in agreement and we're releasing the power of God. And we believe that people are recovering right now. We command sicknesses, diseases to leave and to be gone in the name of Jesus. Satan, you loose these people. We break bondages, sickness, infirmity, command it to go now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. You know, the Lord's speaking to me that somebody just got a really bad report like today, maybe yesterday, but in the last 24 hours or so, you got a really bad report from the doctor about some condition in your body. God is canceling that diagnosis right now. God is setting you free from what the doctor had to say about you. Who's that that had this bad report from a doctor in the last 24 hours or so? I know you're here. Whoever that is, I want you to raise your hand. I want to see who it is I'm praying for. Who is it? Is that you? What was wrong with you? No problem. Let, let Ashley or let Bobby Ray, somebody right here, lay hands on you. And in the name of Jesus... We, command, we cancel that report and we command this cancer to be gone in Jesus' name. It's over. Father, thank you for healing that. Thank you, Father. Somebody here has been struggling with uh, problems here in your forearm. I guess, uh, what do we call that? Corporal tunnel syndrome. Other kind of problems. But you've got problems right here in your forearm and your wrist. Who's that that's got this problem? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Here's a lady. Here's another one. Anybody else? Here's another one. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Stand and raise your hand so I can see who this is. Okay, I can see your hand, but would you just stand? Can you stand? I want you, if you're receiving this prayer, stand and raise your hand. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I release your power and we command these forearms and wrist right now to be healed. I command pain to be gone. Any damage done unto them, we command healing to flow through these wrists and through these forearms. In Jesus' name, pain you be gone. And whatever's causing this pain, you leave them now in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Thank you, Father. I believe that's the anointing of God right there flowing through you. Amen. Move your arms and wrist around. How do you feel? You feel good? Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Thumbs up. Doing everybody's good. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody here, let me qualify this. There may be some of you that your hair is falling out and it's been happening for 20 years and you don't care. It's less to wash. But there's somebody here that your hair is falling out, that this is something that you have already been believing God for. And this is an answer to prayer right here. You've been praying. Is this you, sister? Right here? Anybody else? Here's another lady. Anybody else? Here's some right here. Father, for these that are standing, raising their hand right now in the name of Jesus, we command whatever has happened to them that has caused their hair to fall out. I just speak healing over them. Thank you that you are healing them. If it's chemotherapy or radiation, I believe that you go to the root of that problem and we command them to be healed, that they don't need any of these treatments, that their hair comes back. Thank you, Jesus. We just speak that whatever is causing this problem, we release your healing right now. And I believe that the hair is coming back and whatever the the root problem of this is, is healed. And Father, they're going to see supernatural manifestation of this healing now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Amen. You know, before your hair comes back in, just tell the Lord whether you want it straight or curly. Amen. (laughs) You get to choose. Praise God. Father, we agree and we receive this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Somebody has really been having a problem right here in your temples. I don't know if this is like a headache. I don't know what it is, but you've got problems right here in your temples. It's either pain or maybe you've hit yourself here or who knows what it is. Somebody here that's got a problem right here in your temples. Who is that? I want you to raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God coming towards you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Are you just praising the Lord or is she receiving this? Did she have problems in her temple? That's you. Anybody else here? Anybody else? Father, for this lady right now, in the name of Jesus, whatever's caused this problem, with this sister right next to her, lay hands on her and just, I'm going to lead in prayer. And right here, we release the anointing of God and command that power to flow in your body and whatever's caused this problem in Jesus' name, we stop it. Father, we believe you've already provided this healing and now we release it. We command you pain to leave her. Be gone. Whatever causes that pain, be healed right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we agree and we receive. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Somebody here has hurt your back. And I believe that you've had this a long time. 
There's a couple of things here. I believe that the Lord's speaking about somebody who has a curvature of the spine. God is healing that. Also, somebody injured your back and you have pain. God's healing those things. If you've had that curvature of the spine or if you have an injured back and pain, I want you to stand right now and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. And here's the healing power of God coming towards you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I agree and I pray with every one of these right now and we command the pain in the back to leave. We command scoliosis, curvature of the spine. You loose them and let them go. That was a demonic spirit just left some of you right now. That curvature of the spine is over in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that that power is broken and now we loose the anointing of God to flow through their body and whatever damage those things have done to them, I thank you it's gone. That pain is gone. That now they're able to move, bend, twist, do things. Some of you, when you slept, you had tremendous pain after you stayed in one position. You're healed of that. I believe that tonight you're going to sleep like a baby. Amen. Command all of that pain to be gone. Father, we thank you for miracles coming unto people right now. And we receive this. Thank you that by your stripes we are healed right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's praise God like you believe you're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody who is having pain that your pain's already gone? Your pain's already gone. If that's you, I want you to wave at me. Here's a brother over here. His pain's already gone. Here's another girl over here. Here's, boy, three or four, five right here. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we believe that every person is healed. We believe you've already provided it. We reach out and appropriate what is already ours. We aren't waiting on you to heal. We believe you've already done it. And we reach out and receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Man, I believe a lot of good things have taken place here tonight. You know, in our last meeting at Orlando, we had people who came the year before, had stage four cancer, refused all treatment. It's been a year and they are absolutely, totally healed. They've had no problems. We had a person who had leukemia, refused all treatment and has been totally healed. We've had people that we had about four or five people that were healed of multiple sclerosis that got up out of wheelchairs. We saw a lot of miracles happen. And so sometimes you don't see the exact same thing right now, but the healing power has started and I believe that the healing power of God is producing results. Isn't that good? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Father. Well, it looks like everybody who wants prayer is being prayed for, has already been prayed for. I'm gonna let you go. Remember, we'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m., 7 p.m. Saturday, it's 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Don't forget to get the CDs, the books. 
If you're a pastor, sign up out there. Um, Remember to get the materials. You're blessed. Amen. God bless you.